Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Team, I am not old enough to remember when that song, uh, Lean On Me, was popular, but I am old enough to remember when DC Talk covered it in the 90s, and it was awesome. I kept waiting for Toby Mac to break in with his rap, but uh, we'll save that maybe for another time. Hey, I want to again just welcome you to Horizon West Church on a really significant Sunday for us. Um, we live in a really cool place, right? Whether you're a Windermere, Winter Garden, uh, Claremont, Horizon West, somewhere in that area, it's a really unique place. In fact, I was talking with somebody at a birthday party yesterday, they said, and they had moved here this year, they said, this is like utopia. Like this is the place where everybody's trying to get to. Everybody wants to be in this part of what we call Central Florida and Horizon West. And while that is true, because I don't know of any other place where you can like be coming home from the grocery store and Disney fireworks are going off over the castle. Like that's... That's crazy, right? But what's happening when those fireworks fall under the roofs of those homes is anything but utopia. Because while the facade might look good for many people in our area, and if we're honest, many people even within our church and ourselves, it's a struggle. Marriages are strained. Families falling apart. There's alcoholism and other addictions. There is uh, tight finances because though we might be making more than the average uh, place in America, we're also spending a lot to live here. And things are hard. I said two weeks ago when we started this series, Hold Us Together, I said, I want to make two observations and no one has yet pushed back on either one. Number one, human beings have always struggled to have healthy relationships with each other. And number two, people are especially struggling to have healthy relationships today. This past Thursday night, I was at my uh, weekly softball game. Um, I play on a team that we're a season and a half in. And guys, if any of my teammates are in the room, I apologize for what I'm about to confess. But we have not yet won a game. (laughs) I think we're 0-17 at this point. And we are the most optimistic group of people that ever existed because we show up every week hoping to win. So this past Thursday, we had our our worst loss in a year and a half. It was a nightmare. But what was happening on the field adjacent to us in a men's Thursday night D-League softball game is that a fight broke out. Some of you that have played sports, you might call it a brawl. Started with a play at third base that turned south, and I'm kind of keeping an eye on it from the outfield of my field. But what happens is that brawl then spills outside of the field and to the area where our families are sitting trying to watch our game. And so my wife and kids promptly pick up their things and make their way to the vehicle. And I'm sitting there thinking, guys, come on. <laughs> it's a stinking softball game. And yet this, this tension, this, this living on the edge is even spilling over into these kind of experiences. By the end of the evening, this was the scene. I'm going to show you one Uh, of the pictures, there was actually several squad cars and people went home in the back of some of those police cars at the end of a softball game. I pulled the team together after we got beat 27 to 4. There is such a thing as a 10-run rule. I didn't know there was a 20-run rule, but that's what happened. And I said, guys, here's the good news. 
we weren't the biggest losers at the softball field tonight. Because we're not going home in a police car or going to the jail in a police car. So, so there is a win. It's just not the one we were hoping for. Hold us together. God, help us to have more effective relationships, not only with people on softball fields and grocery stores, but even the people in our very own families. Today, what I'm going to do in this series is I'm going to speak to a group of people that unfortunately often get overlooked when churches talk about relationships. I want to talk to those of you in the room and watching online who are single. Now, let me clarify in this way, there is no status, be it single, dating, engaged, married, whatever it might be, that adequately defines the group that find themselves in that category. This is not a monolith. This is not a one-size-fits-all. Single people are as diverse and varied and unique as married people are. There is no difference. There are, however, varied reasons people find themselves single. They've never married, they've experienced divorce, or they've lost a spouse through death. And, and whereas the reasons for singleness are varied, so too are the hopes, dreams, and expectations of single people. It needs to be said today that not all single people really wish deep down that they were married. Many do. But many are living full and abundant lives as single people, and they are not deficient or defective. They're doing exactly what they should be doing, living as single people. And I want to do my best to honor single people, to, to honor the various expressions of singleness. And what I'm going to do today is offer some biblical insights around the area of singleness. The Bible has a lot to say about single life. For each of those insights, I'm going to pair with it a corresponding need or opportunity that I think if, if you can connect these things together, single people, you can have an even fuller and richer experience of relationships and life. Uh, let me also say this, married people, because many of us in the room are married. Uh, God has something to say to you today as well. I've got a hunch that whether you're married or not, you know somebody and love someone who is single. A brother, a sister, a friend, a neighbor, an adult child. And, and perhaps the, the insights that we pick up today from the word of God related to singleness, my dream is that it would help you love those single people in your life even better. Cool? Here's the first observation or the first insight the, the, the Bible gives us related to singleness. Number one, singleness is a gift. Paul articulates this in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 6 and 7. He says, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Paul is writing as a single man, a man who never married, and saying, hey, I think there's some real benefits, some real advantages to being single and being about the work of God's kingdom. He says, I'm not going to enforce it. I'm going to say you have to be single, but I am going to tell you that it is a gift from God, the same as marriage. Singleness is a gift. And somebody's going to ask, well, how is that? How is singleness a gift? And, and this is the way I see it. Singleness is a gift in that it allows you more time and mental focus for whatever you devote your life to. Right? Like, like you have more time and mental focus than those of us who are married. I'll give you some examples of people who were single and used their singleness to impact the world in radical ways. Augustine, the great African theologian and church father, was single. Leonardo da Vinci, 
Isaac Newton were single. George Frederick Handel, the composer of the great Messiah, that whenever it plays to this day, people still stand to their feet. He was a single man. Susan B. Anthony, champion of the women's suffrage movement in America. Clara Barton, founder of the Red Cross. Mother Teresa, Condoleezza Rice. Single people who weren't living their life going, man, I could really do some things if I was married, but who said singleness is a gift and I'm going to steward my gift to the glory of God and the good of the world around me. Can you imagine a world without the, the leadership, the service, the conviction, the compositions, the inventions, the discoveries, and the theological contributions of these and other remarkable single people? When we go beyond the, the recent history of the world and look at Scripture, we see even more single men and women making massive impact on the world. Aaron, the first high priest of Israel and brother of Moses, was single. Samuel, the prophet that anointed King David as leader of the people of God, was single. Elijah, the prophet who called down fire from heaven onto Mount Carmel, was a single man. Mary Magdalene became single and devoted her singleness to following Jesus, even becoming the first person to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And then none other than the great Apostle Paul and Jesus himself lived their entire lives from beginning to end unmarried and single. It is not a deficiency. It is not a defect. It is rather a gift. And the responsibility of every follower of Jesus, whether single or married, is to steward the gift that we've been given in ways that advance the gospel and make great the name of Jesus. Our job is not to pursue the American dream of a spouse, a dog, and 2.3 children. Rather, it is to take whatever season of life we've been called to, whatever situation or status God has placed us in, and glorify him in it. I have two shining examples from my own life of men who devoted their singleness to God in enormous ways. First, a man named Ed Lewis. Ed was uh, the uh, head of an organization called Christian Education National, and his focus was on raising up generations of radical Jesus followers. And he started something called Operation Barnabas that took 90 to 100 high school kids in school buses around the country every summer learning to be effective preachers, pastors, servants, worship leaders. He was the architect of the Brethren National Youth Conference where I was called to faith in Jesus and where I was called to full-time vocational ministry. Ed Lewis never married, and he used the gift God had given him to, to radically impact generations after him. And then Ansel Ragunath, a, a missionary of First Orlando who we were able to send several years ago to the Antimora people in Madagascar, began a trailblazing ministry to an unreached and underreached people to bring the gospel to them. And God has used Ansel and continues to use him in massive ways, in part because he did not have some of the responsibilities we have and said, God, I'll go wherever and whenever. Let me use this gift called singleness to make your name great. First Corinthians chapter 7, Paul highlights this reality beginning at verse 32. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties, church. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And so his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman, she is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And then he says this, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to pr promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. 
Now, when Paul says worldly things, he's not diminishing the status of marriage. He's just recognizing that single people have an opportunity to be undivided in their devotion to the Lord in a unique way. Whereas married people bear the very real and God-honoring responsibility to invest significant time and energy into our marriages, into our spouses, single people can take that same time and energy and say, God, where do you want me to give it? To my neighbors, to uh, charities, to ministries, to organizations, to the ends of the earth? They're freer to pursue those things without the responsibilities of marriage. Now here's the danger that I need to speak to within this. Singleness can contribute to undivided devotion to the Lord, but it does not guarantee it. And that same freedom that makes us free to do whatever God calls us to whenever he calls us to it can also be used to indulge fleshly and selfish desires without responsibility to another. Does that make sense? So the question becomes this, as a single person, am I pursuing freedom for God? In other words, using my time and money for godly purposes, or am I really uh, seeking freedom from God? In other words, free to do what I want when I want to do it. And my concern, and I'm not making this uh, particular to anyone in the room or even to the single people in this church by any means, but I have come to believe that the trend toward greater numbers of single adults might have more to do with the latter than the former. People say, man, single life's great. Go wherever I want, do whatever I want, be with whoever I want to be. I have, I have no responsibilities that, that tie me down. And I'm not talking about that kind of singleness. In fact, for single people who are following Jesus, the great need is for accountability. Again, not unique to single people. Married people need it too. But married people have some built-in accountability, don't we? Uh, if I come home at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I do that more than, now, if I do it once, <laughs> it's going to be bad, right? It's just not going to be good, because i got a wife and kids waiting on me, expecting me to come home. If I'm out at 2 o'clock in the morning, it's because I hear raccoons in the trash. Like, that's the only thing that is getting me out of my house at 2. And single people don't have that same built-in accountability. You can be at the club, you can be at the bar, you can be wherever you want to be, come home, and nobody's checking in on you, nobody's following up with you. And so what you're going to need to do, single people, is you're going to have to build that accountability that doesn't exist naturally for you because of marriage. I'll give you a couple practical ways to do that. I would encourage you, single people, to commit to a local church. And I don't mean just attend every once in a while. Or show up when you had a really uh, bad Saturday night that you need to feel better about yourself because of. I'm talking about commit to it. Commit to a church such that when you're not there on a Sunday, somebody goes, hey, where were you last week? We missed you. And go beyond just attending or participating in a local church. Commit to a small group. Commit to a volunteer team where people can really know you and, and, and you can know them and you can share life together. It begins to build that accountability around you. And then I want to encourage you to do something that I do, which is to gather once a week with two other men, and if, it's, if you're a woman, this would be with other women, and be in accountability relationships with other people. Every Tuesday night, me and Joe and John find a Starbucks. There's 138 in a square mile out here, which is fantastic. And we grab some coffee and we have the conversations. Hey, how are you and your wife connecting? When's the last time you took her on a date? 
Are you home in the evenings? Are you taking care of your kids? When's your next work trip? Do you have accountability? Do you have people asking you when you come home? Like, it's life-on-life relationships that both married people and especially single people, I want to encourage you, seek that out. There's no way to, to live the full abundant life and all that God has for you if you live in shadows and in isolation. This step of getting into accountability in both formal and informal ways, I believe, begins to address a second issue for single people and the second biblical insight, which is that singleness is hard. Now, somebody said, you know, life is hard and you choose which hard you take. I mean, that can certainly be applied to marriage and singleness. Marriage is hard. Singleness is hard. Choose your hard. But I want to draw out some of the ways that singleness is uniquely hard since that's the subject today. First, single people, you don't have some of the practical help that is, again, built in to being part of a marriage. You you don't have somebody helping you to pay the bills, bringing in extra income, doing house projects, taking care of things uh, that are are done that way. You don't have somebody that you can immediately bounce off critical decisions with. I do this with my wife all the time. And and there's a little bit more of a distance where you're going to have to, again, seek that out. The, the, the situation's made even more challenging for those who are single with children. Because all of the groceries, the laundry, the homework, the school pickup and drop off, that falls on one person or primarily on one person. And it can be very, very difficult to do single life with children. It's hard enough to do single life without them. And it was at least this very practical issue of the challenges facing single people that led God in Genesis chapter 2 for the first time to say, hey, I see something in my creation that is not good. He says this, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Guys, we need help. Life is hard. And God said, part of my idea in bringing the man and the woman together is to provide help for one another, a helper fit for them. Now, if you're married and your helper isn't helping, in three weeks, we're going to talk about that. But today we're talking to single people, and, and, and what I want you to know is it's not just the lack of support, right? That was part of God's design, but there's also the very real reality of companionship. We all need companionship. We all need to not live in isolation and in loneliness. A study by Bowling Green, Bowling Green State University uh, by the way, they have a terrible football team, but apparently their research is good. So past, past the age of 30, Right at 50% of people who are single live alone. So not even with other housemates or roommates. This was my situation when a year after graduating from college, I moved to Augusta, Georgia. Any uh, Georgians in the place? Shout out. There's always some. They're everywhere. Great. And for a year and a half, I lived single, but not only single, I lived alone. Uh, My apartment didn't have a single thing on the walls. Like, no pictures, no artwork. I had a TV that I bought at Goodwill that was like this big. I came home every evening at about seven o'clock from working in an office, and I took a, a, a microwavable meal and stuck it in there and ate dinner by myself. This is sounding pitiful. I didn't intend for it to be that. But, <laughs> but it's not just being single, but being single and living alone has even additional challenges. It can be very, very lonely. And so, Single people uh, can be more susceptible, or singleness can create greater susceptibility to loneliness, but loneliness is not an incontrovertible fact of being single. 
And closely related to that, let me say to you that marriage is not the cure for loneliness. There are a lot of people who have gotten to an age in their singleness that they said, I'm so lonely, I'm going to go get married, and married out of desperation, and they discover that there is something worse than being single and lonely, and it's called being married and lonely. Marriage is not the cure-all. It is a gift. It is a beautiful and wonderful thing, but it is not the only answer to a life of singleness or a life of loneliness. The English novelist Charlotte Bront, you might know her from her greatest work, Jane Eyre, She said, it is not that I am single and likely to stay single, but that I am lonely and likely to stay lonely. And what she was driving at with this statement was the recognition that even if our marital status changes, as hers eventually did, it does not automatically reverse the condition of loneliness. There is a need that we all have, and single people have it most certainly. It is the need for family. I played with the words here. I thought about community or, or relationships or whatever, but I chose family on purpose. Psalm chapter 68, verse 6 says it this way. God places the lonely in families. Family is God's idea. All of us, married, single, we all need to be experiencing family. And so not everyone is called to be married, but everyone is called to belong to a family. In fact, if you were to to read the Bible from Genesis chapter 1 through Revelation chapter 22, God's idea and God's purposes for family would just jump off the page to you. You would see that when God created the man and woman, Adam and Eve, he not only created the first marriage, but he created the first family as they had children who had children and generations after them. A few chapters later, Genesis chapter 12, God appears to a man named Abram and says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father. And it was through becoming a family that the redemptive plan for history that God had began to be realized. And then as you get deeper into the Old Testament, you see the prophets banging this gong over and over again. They say, people of God, remember the orphans and the widows. Remember those who are without family and make sure that they experience family when they are among you. What does all this mean If you're single, what does this talk of family mean for the single person? Well, again, part of that can be addressed through roommates. Roommates can help to provide some of the support, the practical help that's needed, sharing dishes and different duties around the house. They can also be some support for loneliness, having somebody to talk to. But but for those of you that have had roommates who are not family, you know that oftentimes that's not much more than just passing strangers. You, you leave for work and come home and, hey, I left a note for you or whatever it might be. It's not the same as family. Family means something. Family means that there are people in my life who are older than me that I can look up to and who look out for me. Family means that there are people younger than me that I care about and that I invest in and pass on my wisdom and experience to as well. Family means I'm in proximity with people who are even at the later end of life and dealing with end-of-life issues, and I learn from their faithfulness and their walk with God. It means I'm regularly seeing babies being born and children growing up, and I'm involved in a community that is multi-generational and rich with family. My vision for Horizon West Church is, at least in part, that it would never become the place for young people or the place where the old people go. 
but rather that it would be a place where all people, old and young, come together and experience spiritual family as God intended the church to be. This is exactly what Paul is referencing in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Listen to the instructions he gives to the pastor of the church of Ephesus in these verses. He says, Timothy, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, and younger men as brothers, and older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, and do this with all purity. In the New Testament, we see over and over again this refrain, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. The first century church was a spiritual family, and it was part of the secret of how God used them to turn the world upside down. I I long for the day where we would reflect some of that same, and we already do to a degree, but even in greater ways reflect what spiritual family looks like in the context of a local church. I want to speak for a few minutes. I'm going to flip over and speak to the married people in the room. I want to give you some really practical ways that you can help to foster spiritual family, particularly for single people within our church. I want to encourage you to invest in a mentoring relationship with a younger person. I want to encourage you to begin looking for opportunities to invite older people in our midst, maybe in some cases single older people who live alone, and have them over for a meal, meet them for coffee, begin to integrate your lives together with them. Families, maybe it's thinking of a single person that your family is in relationship with, and you, you go beyond just the, 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 the platitudes and the, 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 the shallow conversations, and you really merge your lives together. Maybe this single person is somebody that goes on vacation with you and, and does life with your family. And the benefit, if you have small children, is you could do that with a babysitter, and it's a mutually beneficial thing, right? My wife Nikki does a great job when we come home from a date night. I'm always like, I'm ready to shut off and be done and, and you know, pay the babysitter, get her out of here, or whatever. No offense, we've had some of you babysit. I'm not, nothing personal. <laughs> but Nikki will just sit at the counter for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 minutes and have conversation because oftentimes these are young single women that she's investing in. And so it's a, it's a mutual thing. We encourage one another. And single people, let me flip back to you. If that is your status, that's your season of life, I want to encourage you to do this. Seek out some of those same familial relationships with us. Call us up. Reach out to us. If we're dads or moms, we've got young kids, it might take us a while to get it on the calendar. Don't give up on us. Let's do our best to make sure that everyone, single and married, is experiencing family here at the church. Let me give you just one more uh, biblical insight today. And again, there are probably many more we could go through, but A third biblical insight related to singleness. Singleness is temporary. Singleness is a gift. Singleness is hard. And ultimately, singleness is temporary. It is a state of doing, not a state of being. What I mean is that when I married, what changed was my circumstances, not the nature of who I am. I was the same person before I was married, as after what was different was the circumstances that I found myself in. Here's the reality. Everyone begins life single, and the part we don't like to admit or or face, many of us, if not most of us, will eventually be single again. So if we wrap our identity into, oh, I'm single, or oh, I'm married, and we identify ourselves by that temporary status, what happens when that status changes is our identity gets washed away. 
My dad was 48 years old, married 26 years to my mom, seven children, pastoring a church, and not through divorce, but through her death, he found himself single again. Best case scenario, you, you live to a ripe old age. I, I read about a couple this week in Pennsylvania. They were like 92 years old, had been married for like 60-something years, and they died within an hour and a half of each other. I'm like, that's great. But you know what? Even for them, it's only temporary. Marriage is temporary. And here's what I mean by that. Whatever your status is, is not going to follow you into heaven. It's not going to matter there. We're going to have distinctions. Okay, the married people go here, the, married, you know, the unmarried. No, no, no. We're just one collective bride of Christ. We're one spiritual family living all of eternity to the glory of God together. The statuses or the situations we find ourselves in are ultimately only temporary. Jesus one time fielded a question from some religious leaders, and they were trying to blow holes in the idea that there is a resurrection. Uh, the idea that we would die and then our spirits live on in heaven with new bodies. They said, there's no way. And they said, Jesus, so how would this work? Imagine that there's a woman who marries and her husband dies. She marries again. That husband dies. She marries again. And this happens seven times. Then whose wife is she in heaven? I read that and go, well, first of all, I would encourage somebody to stop marrying this woman because it's not ending well. And Jesus says, guys, you've actually completely misunderstood this whole thing called the kingdom of God. This idea that, oh, now she's got to figure out which of the seven, it doesn't work like that in heaven. There are not statuses and designations. There's not single and married and divorced and widowed. Those exist here, and they work in some way to help us classify or whatever, but they're temporary. They're not eternal. Several years ago, Francis Chan wrote a book called You and Me Forever, and the idea of you and me forever, it's a marriage book, but it's not designed to help you have a healthier marriage here and now and to go on more dates. That's important. But it was actually challenging this idea that marriage is everything. No, it's not. It's a temporary season in which God is cultivating our lives and hearts to have maximum impact, not only in the present life, but into all of eternity. We're practicing for heaven. And so the need that we need to unpack as we think about this concept of singleness being temporary, the need is for perspective. The Apostle Paul, one more time in 1 Corinthians 7, offers us that very thing. He says this, This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they did not. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want to be really clear that Paul is not saying married men and married women, go ahead and shirk your responsibilities and live like a single person. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, as you live as a husband, as a wife, as a father, a mother, a single person, an employee or employer, live all of those temporary seasons with an eye toward the eternal, permanent state of God's kingdom in heaven. Live now in preparation for what will be true then. This is how Francis Chan again says it. 
Whether as individuals or couples, our mission is to make as many disciples as we can during our time on earth. This takes priority over everything else. And so, single people, your mission in life ultimately is singular. Make disciples of Jesus. Help other people become real followers of a person named Jesus. Your mission in life, married people, is to make disciples of others, to teach and demonstrate to others how to follow the person of Jesus with their life. That is our mission. That is what unifies us across all of the distinctions that could be made among us. And friends, it is that mission that is the reason we went all in on a property 12 acres on Schofield Road that's going to one day be the home of Horizon West Church. That, that is the reason why this day, this Sunday, we're designating every single dollar that comes in to go straight into the hands of people on the front lines providing shelter and food and clothing and working to get children into forever families. This disciple-making mission is the reason we're praying for over a thousand people to come out to our fall street party on November 5th. Because while that evening is going to be a party, they're going to be exposed to you, followers of Jesus. They're going to be invited to experience church where worship and the preaching of the word will happen and where they can be challenged to come to know a person named Jesus. And that mission is why every Sunday we preach the word, why we start small groups, why we're right now teaching about a dozen kids in the children's ministry about baptism, who just in a few weeks we'll get to celebrate baptism with. That mission to be for the world, and in our case, to be for Horizon West, that is what unifies us. We do all of this together as one spiritual family on mission to the glory of God. Friends, would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this brief time we've had to remind ourselves what is most true of us. Not where we work, not where we live, not whether we're a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a student, an athlete. God, what's most true of us is that we've been created in the image of a God who loves us, and we're being transformed through faith into the image of your son, Jesus. God, help us to be a people who know you and who make you known. As single, as married, whatever our temporary status, let us use it for the mission to which we've been called. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.